Let's turn then for our sermon text to one of those passages that Paul quotes, Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 26. It's also on the sermon insert as well. Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 26. This will be the last passage in the life of Abraham as that comes to a close in this chapter. Chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Leturshim, and Leummim. The sons of Midian were Epha, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried, with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Laheroi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and they, these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 45 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. 
When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out all red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord God, we thank you for the word that you have written for our instruction. We pray that you would cause it to be profitable to us today, to fix our minds upon your truths, to your deeds of old, to your words of instruction. We pray that you would humble us and to make us uh, fervent in true piety. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Consider this chapter, this, or this passage, from the perspective of Israel in the wilderness, when Moses is instructing the people, and at least putting this uh, book together. And if you were Israel at that time, you would have been surrounded by many of these related nations, the ones that are listed in Genesis, either listed earlier or in this chapter. And you would be children of one of these people. You'd be children of Jacob, whose birth is recounted in this passage. God had chosen Jacob, or his other name we'll find out later, Israel. And he had created the nation of of Israel, of this people that in Moses' day had grown to a great multitude. But he had chosen Israel not... uh, and had created it, not naturally or because of its strength or its numbers, but rather he had chosen it and formed it by his grace. And they would be taught this by this passage from their very beginning, from Abraham, from Isaac, and from Jacob. They would learn, and you and I should learn, to not be proud, for God chooses his people by grace. This passage involves both what we might call individual and corporate election. The election, election referring to, to choosing, God choosing. The election of individuals like Jacob to salvation by grace. And the choosing of a people, a visible church on the earth, as in the people of Israel in the Old Testament. This, both of these were done uh, by God's grace by his choice. In this passage, we have Jacob and Esau, and these are both individuals, real individuals, historical figures, as well as peoples. And we find that even in the oracle given to Rebekah, that these were certainly children, literally in her womb, but they were also nations. They were peoples divided from the womb. So if you find yourself in God's chosen people in the church, then do not grow proud or presumptuous that you are here. Do not neglect this gift and privilege and neglect this great salvation that is proclaimed in our midst, but use it rightly. Hold fast to your covenant Lord, trusting in Him. And if you find yourself a believer, one of the chosen ones, then do not boast in yourself, but give thanks to God for His grace, that He is the one who saves his people and brings them 
to salvation. In this passage, we have the death of Abraham, uh, then also the, the history of his children. Uh, it turns out he has a number of children, the children of Keturah, the children of Hagar, and, or the child of Hagar, and the child of Sarah. And we're going to give most attention to Isaac and his line, but we also learn what happens to the others. So the death of Abraham, then we'll look at the generations of Ishmael, and then the generations of Isaac. Again, that's the, the way Genesis is structured, by the generations of these people. This is what happened to heaven and earth. This is what happened to Adam and his children. This is what happened to Terah and his children. Uh, here we f- find the beginning of a new section, uh, both the generations of Ishmael, and the, which is brief, and then the beginning of the generations of Isaac. But before we get there... We look at the death of Abraham, the first 11 verses. Abraham took another wife, uh, Keturah. Uh, She's also called a a concubine. Uh, She was a wife, but uh, her children were not heirs. They did not have, she did not have the same status as Sarah had had. Um, He has a number of children by her, but he gave, he made Isaac, according to God's promise, uh, his sole heir. He gave all he had to Isaac, but uh, he did not leave the other children without anything. He gave them gifts and sent them away, and must have been pretty good gifts because a lot of these sons become peoples and nations. He sent them away to the east country before he died, taking care of the future, uh, looking out for his son Isaac so that there would not be contention between them. And he continued to rest, therefore, in the promises of God that were going to be fulfilled through the line of Isaac. God had said through Isaac, the child of promise, the one supernaturally provided in old age through Sarah, that through Isaac would your offspring be named. Through Isaac would these promises be fulfilled. And so even at the end of his life, Abraham dies in faith, having endured to the end of his very long journey. He died in old age, 175 years old. He had been a pilgrim in a foreign land, not the land of his birth, for 100 years. It had been 100 years since he had left Haran and had journeyed in the land of Canaan. When he had left, he was 75 years old. Now he is 175. It says that he died and that he was gathered to his people and that he was buried. Uh, he was gathered to his people as a reference to, to his soul, that there was continued existence afterwards, that he was gathered to his people. Think of people like Enoch and Noah, other faithful people who had gone before him, and he was gathered to them. And then he, his body, was also buried by his sons. Isaac and Ishmael reunite for this act of of honor and filial piety to take care of their father, to bury him in the land that he had purchased, that very significant plot of land, that down payment on the inheritance where Sarah had been buried earlier uh, in the cave of Machpelah. And so he is buried there. Abraham had been called by grace. He had been delivered time and again by grace, and he had been blessed by grace. He had no reason to, to be proud, to, be, uh, to boast in his own strength and achievements, 
But from beginning to end of his journey, he had been led by God's grace. If God had not called him, he would have remained among the idol worshippers in Mesopotamia. But God had called him and had led him all the way through his journey. Uh, God had delivered his wife from the clutches of powerful men. God had brought him back again to the land of promise. God had given him an heir, an offspring. God had given him victory over the kings who had defeated Sodom. God had blessed him and had multiplied his household, giving him uh, wealth. But he had also given him his most precious promises. Abraham's weakness among men had been evident time and again, but he walked in humility. He triumphed by faith, by the grace of God. God had been faithful and is still faithful to Abraham. God showed him the land, the symbol of his everlasting inheritance. He had begun to make Abraham into a great nation. He began to make his name great, as uh, the servant even said of his master when he went to Bethuel, that Abraham had become quite prominent. God began to make Abraham a blessing to others. He began, he faithfully blessed those who blessed him and cursed those who dishonored him. And through Abraham would come the Christ. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through his offspring. And so, as the original call had said, Abraham was blessed by God that he might be a blessing. Abraham is, in the New Testament, called the man of faith, the exemplar of faith, faith or belief. That word is first used to refer to Abraham, not that he was the first believer, but he is one especially known for this and his quality demonstrated throughout his life, receiving and resting upon the promises of God. And therefore, all his people ought to walk in the footsteps of their father, Abraham, uh, with a, a like faith, a faith in God who was even able to raise the dead to fulfill his promises. A faith that was strong enough that proved itself by its works, willing even to sacrifice his beloved son at the call of God, through whom all the promises were fixed, and yet God delivered him. He is also called in the New Testament the father of all who believe. Uh, his, his blessed children, the heirs of grace, are those both among the Jews and Gentiles who have the faith of Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham is given to them. And we share in this same covenant heritage with Abraham, the father of us all. He is also called God's friend in the Old Testament and New Testament. God's friend. He God revealed his ways to Abraham, and Abraham came before God and interceded on behalf of, of Sodom and Abimelech and was able to pour forth his, his thoughts and his desires to God. Also an example for us. It's the man of faith, the father of all who believe, and God's friend. Abraham's an example to all of us as he is a believer, He's also an example, as we mentioned Sarah earlier, we came to the death of Sarah on Mother's Day, and we happened to come to the death of Abraham on Father's Day. It worked out pretty well. But he's also an example to the men in particular, as a man, as a husband, as a father. When God called him, he took his household with him. Uh, he led them. 
Even Lot, who didn't have to come with him, decided to come with him. He directed his household to keep the way of the Lord. God had chosen him that he might do this, so that he might bring what he had promised to pass. He led his household in showing hospitality to strangers, jumping in himself in the, that godly work of when the angels came to visit. He resolved conflict when it arose in his house, whether the strife with Lot's servants or strife after he had wrongly took Hagar. He maintained good relationships with his neighbors. They would even come to make allies with Abraham. He had good standing in his community. His servant and his son both would show themselves men of piety who went out the field, to the field to meditate, who were faithful to their duties, who prayed to the Lord and gave thanks to him. He came to be an honored prince among men, leading warriors, delivering his nephew, his servant. So, and then he also helped his son to marry well and looked not only to himself, but to the future and to the next generation and the generation after that with this multi-generational vision for the people of God and the fulfillment of his promises. In these ways, an example to men, to fathers, to husbands as well, to lead their households in the way of the Lord, to not take a back seat, but to, from day to day, consistently work in the household, to lead it, to keep the ways of the Lord, that even after him, that his household after him would keep the way of the Lord. Abraham had children. Like we said, he sent away some of those children because of God's promise, a unique situation, but he sent some with gifts uh, away from his son Isaac. One of those sons was Ishmael. We had read earlier about what had happened to Ishmael and how he came uh, to live in the wilderness. And that's the second part that we find in this passage, verses 12 through 18. The generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son. We find here a list. It's not only to say, well, I wonder what happened to Ishmael, but it's also a fulfillment of God's promises. It's again showing that God is faithful, that God is going to fulfill what he has promised. And if he promised, even if he fulfilled his promises with respect to Ishmael, how much more can he be expected to fulfill his promises to Isaac? And so what had God promised concerning Ishmael? God had promised Hagar that Ishmael would be free, like a wild donkey of a man. Uh, That might not sound like a compliment today, but it meant that he would be free, that he would be like the wild donkeys, not a, uh, a slave like Hagar had been at the moment, but rather independent and, uh, and free. God had promised Abraham that Ishmael would be blessed and fruitful and the father of 12 princes and a great nation. And so we find this fulfilled in our passage as well, looking to the future. Uh, Ishmael was a free man, and he had 12 sons, and they became princes of tribes. They continued to live in the ways of the patriarchs as herdsmen in tents and encampments. And these sons that are listed in birth order became nations. Some of them are even listed in Assyrian records, that they were peoples that were known in the Arabian 
peninsula and between Mesopotamia and Canaan. Nebaioth and Kedar, in particular, would become especially prominent Arabian tribes. And then his descendants would settle against his kinsmen from Havilah to Shur, basically the region of Arabia, and would continue to live there. And you would come across them uh, throughout the rest of biblical history, and a lot of them are still there, uh, or though some have moved. The children of Ishmael and the children of Ketera uh, would follow similar paths, a lot of them becoming Middle Eastern tribes, mostly Arabian, some Syrian. Uh, Isaiah 60 lists five of these people, both from Ketera and Ishmael, Midian, Ephah, Sheba, Kedar, and Nebaioth, in its prophecy of the conversion of the nations. Remember that even though the, uh, God's uh, attention is uh, narrowed in on Abraham and this line of promise, it's for the good of all the nations of the earth, including these descendants of Ishmael. Acts 2 mentions Arabians present on the day of Pentecost, as the gospel then went out to all the nations. But again, probably the main point, especially for its original audience, would be if God was faithful to fulfill these promises to Ishmael, he would also be faithful to the twelve sons of Jacob, which we have yet to come to. The last part of this passage, then, is the generations of Isaac, verses 19 through 26. The generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. We had saw earlier in verse 11 that after Abraham's death, God blessed Isaac, his son, and so he experienced that same favor and blessing of God. But before that, before his father's death, there was a trial of barrenness for 20 years. Isaac got married, as it says here, when he was 20. He's going to have children when he's 60, so, sorry, 40. Got married when he was 40, had children when he was 60, so there's 20 years in between. When he got married, Abraham was 140 years old, and Abraham died when he was 175 years old. So, Jacob and Esau were born when Abraham was alive, uh, and they were about 15 years before he died. But it's out of order here because it's more topically arranged, wrapping up Abraham and moving on to the history of Isaac. And so, once Rebekah and Isaac were married, it started out with great promise, the blessings of her family upon her may become thousands and tens of thousands, and your offspring possessed the gates of his enemy. But then she didn't have a child the next year, and the next year, and the next year for 20 years. The theme of, of barrenness or the inability to have children comes up a lot uh, in Scripture, demonstrating that this people of God came from the grace of God and from his special providence. That might be the main lesson. It's not the only lesson. Uh, But it showed that they would need to be dependent upon God for him to fulfill his promises. It was also a trial for Isaac and Rebekah. After such a promising beginning, God's favor and blessing upon the uh, pursuit of a spouse, there were 20 years of uncertainty and frustration of their desires. But they turned to God in their distress. Abraham prayed for his wife that she might bear children. Um, Probably she prayed as well, but here it's mentioned that Isaac prayed. Isaac was concerned for his wife. He prayed for his wife, went to the Lord in that trial. We don't know how long he prayed. 
at some point he prayed, and that prayer was answered. Perhaps he had prayed for years. And she does conceive. But note that the promises that God had given Abraham and to to his people of abundant offspring, you know, I'll make you into a great nation and multiply you like the sand on the seashore, those promises were multi-generational and corporate. How many children did Sarah have? The one who was going to be the mother of nations? She had one. How many did Rebecca have? She, she had two. Later we'll come to, to Rachel. You know, she, she had two. Um, and yet, in this way, God would greatly increase his people. You should not despair when you meet with various trials, whether it's this kind or a different kind. But look at the bigger picture, remembering that you are one member of the body, and God doesn't bless each member in the same way. But we ought not to be jealous of each other. As one is exalted, so the rest of the body. This body extends through the generations. and It's not all going to be experienced right now. Not every member receives the same trials or blessings, but are blessed together as one people of God. And so they go through this particular trial. Abraham prays. This is not the first time Abraham prays. We saw that he at least went out to meditate in the field, and that's how Rebekah found him. Here he prays to the Lord, and the Lord grants his prayer. We're not told how long it was before God answered, but that these children were given as an answer to prayer. Prayer was the means, was a means that God used to fulfill his promise. He had promised to give offspring through Isaac, but it was an answer to prayer that she conceived. Prayer is still today a means by which we receive what God has promised. God has promised us many things, and yet would have us to ask him for them, to seek that you might find, to knock that it might be open to you. Lay hold upon his promises, lay hold upon his care and protection, and come to him and pray to him, for it is a means that he uses to fulfill his intentions and his promises. But then Rebecca also inquires of the Lord. After the children are conceived and they start to struggle within her, she wonders what this could mean, and so she inquires of the Lord. She wondered what the conflict in her womb meant. And the Lord gave her an oracle or a prophecy. It's not the way it works now. Uh, we Prophecy has ceased, not entirely. We have it in Scripture, right? God's Word is given to us now, the complete oracles of God. We can still pray for understanding, for wisdom, for the ability to understand our place and understand His Word, but she seeks guidance from God and understanding from Him. And in this case, she's given us specific prophecy and Word of God interpreting this struggle. There was a struggle of twins. And God's explained that there were two nations in her womb, that they would be divided, and they would be pitted against each other. They would uh, have conflict, similar to that enmity that was between the woman and the serpent that we found back in the early part of Genesis. There was to be a division, and the victory would be given to the younger one. The older would serve the younger God's election and his favor here is described in terms of victory and exaltation. 
It's almost similar to Noah's prophecy regarding his children as well. Then these twins are born, and they're named. We find the identities of these two that, that God has spoken about. The oldest, not oldest by much, right? But the one that first came out of the womb was named Esau because he was hairy. The words sound similar. He's also red, and later his other name will come from that aspect, Edom. Edom referring to red. So Edom, or Esau, was the oldest child. And the younger twin uh, was named Jacob. Uh, because he had taken his brother by the heel as he came out of the womb. Uh, and so he's called basically the one who takes by the heel. Uh, the name Jacob and heel sounding similar. Now the Apostle Paul refers to this passage in Romans 9. There he deals in Romans 9 with the fact that many of the children of Jacob, many Jews, had not received Christ. He argued that the word of God had not failed because all along, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all the children, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. The children of promise are and have always been the true heirs of Abraham. They are blessed not merely because of physical descent or by works, but by grace. And he uses Esau and Jacob as an example. This is what we ought to learn from this passage in Genesis. Esau and Jacob were twins. One might say, oh, maybe Isaac was favored over Ishmael. You had a different mother, different circumstances around that. But Esau and Jacob were twins, born of the same father, the same mother, same time of their conception. Uh, They had, they were equal in so many ways. They had the same heritage. They were both fallen sons of Adam. They were both members of the visible church. They had not yet done anything. Paul makes it plain that their future works were not the basis of God's choice. It was significant that this was given to Rebekah while they were yet unborn. Before the birth, she was told that the older will serve the younger. And she was told this, Paul says, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Jacob would be blessed because God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Words from Malachi, the prophet. This was not because of Jacob's works, but because God set his love upon him by his grace. Does this seem unfair? That's what Paul recognized it could feel like to some people. Is there injustice on God's part? He recognized some people might feel this way. We too often feel that we deserve God's mercy, that we deserve God's grace. But all, as Paul said earlier in Romans, all are sinners. Death spread to all men because all sin. We're all in Adam and are sinners justly under condemnation unless God graciously intervenes. Is his election of some to salvation unjust? By no means, Paul says. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It is up to God to show mercy or not. It is his prerogative, his choice. We do not deserve it. It is not natural. 
He may choose to give it or not. It's not earned by us. It's not our right. Salvation does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. And this is we're taught by this early oracle concerning Jacob and Esau, that God had set his love upon Jacob, not because Jacob would do good things. Any good things he did was because God had loved him and had saved him that would uh, work in his life. And so it is with all his people. It is a work of grace so that no one may boast. What are we to do with this? Well, first, make your calling and election sure by believing in Christ, by growing in grace, following the Lord. Jacob, just like Abraham, would be saved by faith. Uh, Because God chooses him, he would bring him to faith. There's still only one way of salvation. The way God brings his chosen ones to salvation is through faith in Christ. So receive salvation by exercising faith in Christ. God doesn't say, determine whether you are elect or not that you might be saved. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that you may be saved. Jesus has sent forth the gospel to all. You and I do not know who the elect are and should make his gospel known to all as a means God uses to save his chosen ones, the means which he uses to bring them to salvation. And he will draw them, and he will bring them, and they will come to Christ, and he will not cast them out. So first, make your calling and election sure by believing in Christ and growing in grace. And then second, if you find yourself a believer, one of those chosen ones, do not boast in yourself. There is no reason to be proud. Do not trust in your earthly status, your parentage, your works. That is not what... Uh, made the difference. That's not what it depends upon. Rather, it is the grace of God. Walk humbly, therefore, before God. Walk humbly before men, not in pride. Thirdly, be grateful. God has given you a great gift. He has set his love upon you, though all you deserved was repugnance and hatred for your rebellion, which you fully pulled down upon yourself. We were in sin and misery, and yet he set his love upon us to deliver us from this evil. Give thanks to the Lord who has given you this unmerited gift despite your sins. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. It's God in mercy who raised you up from spiritual death. And lastly, be holy set apart unto God. That's the context in which this arises in Deuteronomy. When God says that I didn't choose you because you were more numerous or because you were more powerful, but rather because I set my love upon you uh, and being faithful to your fathers, whom I also saved in the same way. But the context of that is a call to holiness. Do not compromise with the idols of the Canaanites. You belong to me. Be holy to the Lord, set apart, because the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You are a holy people, a chosen nation, a people for his own possession. Now, holiness is referring to, to being devoted, set apart unto God, unto his service. 
earlier in the lesson on Christian liberty. We looked at the end of Christian liberty is to, to be delivered from the hand of our enemies that we might serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. So let us be holy, set apart to the God who has chosen us for himself. So looking at the death of Abraham, the birth of Jacob, let us remember to follow our fathers in the faith, to follow Father Abraham in the way of faith, to believe in the same God as he, for he is still the same today, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of you and me. Remember from Jacob's birth that salvation is of grace, not of works, not of blood, but of grace, lest anyone should boast. It is to God in whom we rely. It is to God that belongs all the glory. Let us devote ourselves to him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your kindness towards us sinners who had deserved your wrath and to be like any other child of Adam. If you had left us to go our own way, we like sheep would have continued to go astray. But we thank you for pursuing us, for calling us, for setting your love upon us. We pray that you would draw in many more, that you would fulfill your promises to bless the nations, to save the lost and to save your people, to bring them to this salvation and blessing. We pray for the children of Kedera, for the children of Ishmael, for the nations of the world who dwell uh, throughout the world. We pray for those who are under the darkness of Islam and other false religions, that they would come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray for us who dwell surrounded by knowledge of the truth, in a land where there are many churches in which your word is proclaimed, that you would uh, give us humility, not presumption. You would give us faith and not stubbornness of heart, that you would cause your church to walk in your way with faith and love, even as our fathers Abraham and Isaac and Jacob did. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.